0: Spanish. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. As for this young man, he insists you are Hector reborn. What was it, Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. Slave! Will you will remove your helmet and tell me your name.
1: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, Commander of the Armies of the North, General of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance, in this life or the next. Welcome, 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 welcome to Best Film Ever, my name is Ian And I'm Liam And for those people who are new to the party, first off, welcome Secondly, what we do basically here is that Liam and I are on a quest to try and find what exactly is the best film ever Because we go and see a lot of films together, don't we Liam? At least we did before this lockdown stuff. And so during that those happier times, I bought Liam, I don't know, about a year and a half ago now, a uh, poster, which is the 100 films you should watch before you die. And we were going to make through all of them. We were going to watch them all together. And uh, we got through eight, Liam.
0: <laughs> yeah in, right. in about,
1: in about like a year and a half so uh we thought well, for, well we'd have these conversations we went we really should be kind of documenting this because we're going through someone's like list of the greatest films it'd be really kind of neat to kind of have some sort of a thing to look back on and thus the idea for a podcast was born liam do you have any idea what episode this is
0: um <laughs> uh Twelve.
1: It is episode 12.
0: Hey!
1: <laughs> for anybody who may not be a long-time listener, Liam always answers with 12. <laughs> so, <laughs> so next week you can't answer with 12 anymore. 12, yeah. <laughs> but for the time being, it's gone, it's gone all right. So, uh, and today, uh, well, before we talk about we're, the film we're watching today, uh, we have some permaguests around our virtual roundtable. And uh, I think it's time that they introduce themselves.
2: Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm
1: Georgia and you still have the good Wi-Fi didn't do that draggy thing hey. I was I was reviewing uh, editing uh, 101 Dalmatians or something from a couple of weeks ago and it was like, hey, oh, yes. <laughs> I was listening to it today and it was going uh, 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 was every like, time oh. you enter yeah so uh, yeah so uh, and guys like it's kind of bizarre to say this but we have hit 300 downloads on the podcast which is insane. And er- earlier this week, we were like in the top 35 or 34 film review podcasts in the UK. Which, which considering we're on episode 12, I mean like, you know, I'll take that. Definitely take that. Yeah, I, I kind of thought we'd just do it for a bit of a laugh and we'd have a little bit of a... And someone might jump in when it was their favorite film. But really, it's just going to be this kind of thing we do. But end ended up being this thing we're doing. So, you know, not, not too shabby at all. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. And speaking of pretty good and not too shabby at all, we're here today to talk about Gladiator. Uh, I know uh, the ladies, Ellie and Georgia, you had not seen Gladiator before, right? Nope. Liam, had you seen Gladiator before, buddy? Yeah, about
0: 10 years
1: ago. Oh, you, really? So you waited that long?
0: No, no, no. I saw it when it um, came out. Oh, okay. That was about 10 years ago since
1: the last time I saw it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I'm about the same. I do. Oh, that's not... On... Yeah, it's about the same. Jeez. Um, so... Maybe a little bit more, maybe more like 13 or something, but yeah, pretty dang close. Uh, I remember really liking it, I think, the first time.
0: Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it.
1: So, yeah, I was looking forward to coming back and visiting it. Now, I don't know which version you got your hands on. Did you get your hands on the regular version?
0: Yeah, the regular version,
1: yeah. All I could find was the extended cut. Yeah, you've got that. All I could find was the extended cut which meant I got an extra like 15 minutes of Gladiator fun. So I don't really remember which bits were added or maybe I've always seen the extended cuts because there was nothing that seemed that new to me. So maybe if I start talking with something, you're like, I didn't see that. Maybe maybe jump in and let me know that because, yeah, Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, So, yeah. So uh, Gladiator, um, 2000, the year 2000. uh, Actually, it premiered January 1st, 2000. Wow! Yeah, I know, right? The first big mega film, I guess, of the new millennium. And what do you do with that? You go back to ancient Rome. Directed <laughs> by Ridley Scott, he of Blade Runner and, oh, what's the big one he's on? Alien, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a co-production by DreamWorks, which usually do animation at Steven Spielberg's studio, and Universal. And um, it was based on a 1958 novel by Daniel P. I want to say man, but I can't read my writing. And originally it was called For Those About to Die or To Those About to Die. And before that, the original oh, title before I that was to. The Way of the Gladiator. So I uh, first started shooting in January 1999. And when they went out, when they went out to shoot the first day of shooting, they only have 32 pages of a script finished. What? Yeah, and if you, um, the way screenplay formatting goes is each page more or less um, equals one minute of shooting time. So if you consider this film is going to be two hours and 30 minutes of length, they had like a fifth of that done. And the script was an absolute mess because when it first was done, um, the the, the writer of the first draft of the screenplay pitches it to Spielberg because this guy had worked with Spielberg on Amistad. So he kinda of knew him and thought he was all right, but he said, I want to do this uh this kind of film set in like gladiators. And he said, When you say gladiators, he, Spielberg went, Are we talking like ancient Roman gladiators? And they went, Yeah. I went, okay. Uh and are there gonna be like animals and stuff like that? And they went, Yeah. And he went, And are people gonna die? And they went, Yeah. And he went, Let's make this movie. <laughs> I'm like, that was really And you can kind of see it. So like, even like two weeks before they're going out to shoot like the actors are just losing their minds because the script is a mess. And so what happens in the end is that, well, DreamWorks say that Russell Crowe tried to rewrite the whole thing on the spot himself when he was out there. Russell Crowe said the character literally doesn't exist on the pages. Like there's no character made up. It's just an actor saying words, but the character doesn't actually like exist. There's nothing that makes him a character. He's just a, a, a walking plot point. And so it seems like Russell Crowe, if you can believe what he said, adds a tremendous amount of his own creativity to the project, Um, which is, um, we'll talk about those moments when they come along, the ones that Russell Crowe claims he came up with. Um, The only reason why he took the job, because he just finished The Insider, which he was actually, he had to be aged up like 20 years for that. I've never seen The Insider. But he had to be like 30 pounds heavier. And he really didn't want to, the script was a mess, like we said. And so he goes, I don't really want to do this film. But then he went, but when am I also going to get a chance to work with Ridley Scott? And that was the the, the, the singular appeal. It's a $100 million budget film. And he gets to play uh, in in a film by Ridley Scott. Uh, Shot over the course of five months in England, Morocco, and Malta. Malta, which, um, well, I'll let you guess which location served for which setting in the film. <laughs> maybe maybe, Mer- maybe uh, ancient Rome was in England. Um, when it came out, uh, which was January 1st, 2000, like we said, in Los Angeles, um, Roger Ebert reviewed it as muddy, fuzzy, and indistinct.
3: Yeah, that was actually me, sorry.
1: <laughs> and it wins, well, Georgia, it wins five Oscars. Yeah, It wins Best Picture. It also won a BAFTA for Best Picture. It wins Best Actor. It wins Best Costumes, Best Sound, and it wins Best Visual Effects, to which Roger Ebert went, that's ludicrous, because he thought the visual effects were bad in the film. And I'm not entirely sure he's wrong on that, to a degree.
3: Some of the visuals and some of the sound, I actually have notes on, because they were that bad. So I'm not sure how that works out. What other films came out this year?
1: I, I'm going to say that. I'm saving that a little bit for the end because it's a bit of a uh, – it's not the strongest year for an Oscar class, actually, I don't think. Yeah,
3: sounds like it because, yeah, I i know I, know I had the extended version. I had the two hours 50 or whatever it was. Um, but this, I felt it could have easily been half an hour shorter because I was getting – in some of these scenes i was going to skip to the gladiators i'm not
1: please. i'm not inclined I to, to d- see the fighting i'm not inclined to disagree when we get to act three especially i think there's things we can talk about because yeah it does get a bit of a slog but again we really just see what liam's version of it was because there's there might be whole scenes that we saw which he's not getting
2: yeah.
1: Um, yeah and it was uh singularly praised as bringing back what was called the shoes and sandals um genre so films like troy Films like Kingdom of Heaven, films like Robin Hood, also directed by Ridley Scott, those last two. There's a few other films that came around that same time frame that were uh, kind of borrowing on those same ideas. Okay, and we start the film, and we're told via some text on screen that one quarter of the world are Romans. Which, you know, that's a lot of people. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, Marcus Aurelius is beating his last group of... um, Barbarians. It's like he's playing Civilization. Uh, and he's about to wipe out the last barbarian tribe. And this is where we come to what we're told is Germania, but it's really uh, England. It's somewhere, I think it's like Surrey or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, and so um, there's a bunch of... And we have this opening shot, and it's a shot that repeats at the end, of a hand sort of playing along some wheat as he sort of walks along. And it's actually a shot, which this is my one per sort of episode, which gets repeated in Avengers Infinity War when Thanos wins at the end. He sort of does that same shot where he's walking he along. Does. He does. He does. That's
3: where I recognized yeah, it from. That's,
1: that's, that's where the shot sort of has its uh, genesis, if you will. And then we rip from this warm, yellowy, kind of idealized afterlife vision, and we're, or idealistic vision anyway, and we're ripped back to Germania where everything is blue. Blue and grey and cold. And this is where we enter Maximus.
3: Now, Maximus.
1: If it's 2000, if it's 2000, and you were supposed to play a role like this, Liam, what actor would you think would be the first one to be phoned? A big military, big sprawling armies. Who is this? Which actor would you usually put in this role? Well,
0: from the two thousand right?
1: Yeah, from like the two thousand era. Let's say mid mid to late nineties, all the way through the early two thousands. Who would be your first port of call for a big war epic? I might. Well, I might ask you what film is Gladiator very reminiscent of that came only a few years before? Swords and hacked off limbs and lots of bloodshed. Three hundred. No, not 300, actually. That was, think, a little bit later. Uh, I'm thinking Braveheart. Oh, yeah, of course. And so Mel Gibson was offered first crack at Maximus.
0: Oh, okay. But
1: Mel's 42 and kind of goes, I don't think I can can keep... This feels like it's going to be a physically demanding shoot. And trust me, he wasn't wrong on that. And we'll come to that at the end as well. So, um, as we said... um, Russell Crowe only takes us to work with Ridley Scott. But in the original script, it's not Maximus. His name is Narcissus. Because in actual historical um, account, Narcissus drowns uh, Commodus to finish his reign as um, emperor of Rome. And so they call him Narcissus. But Mel uh, Mel Gibson, I've already done it now. Russell Crowe hated the name Narcissus. And so one of the first scenes he shoots is the one where he gives that big speech with the name where yeah. he goes through and says, what, what, what is it, what his name is? And so uh, he comes up with just sort of by himself. He comes up with, my name is Maximus Der- Deridus, whatever his third name is.
0: Maximus Modestimus Madridius, commander of the army Med- of
1: the Yeah, I mean, Madridius, yeah. And so he comes up with that because it flows off the tongue he felt. And I think, yeah, much better name than Narcissus. I don't care if it's correct or not. Maximus. Strength there, <laughs> isn't it? So
3: we meet literally strength, isn't it? It's it's maximum maximum power, whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so Maximus, and so everybody loves Maximus as he walks and drives down. Well, drives. He rides his horse down the the sort of uh, trenches, if you will. I'm not quite trenches, but you know what I mean. The ranks of his of his men. His men love him. We clearly get everybody loves Russell.
3: Other than yeah. that one guy who doesn't kneel because he's too busy eating his bread still.
1: I still... Well, but but I kind of thought when he was uh, sort of riding by, I don't know what you thought, Liam, but when he goes by the guy who won't put down his bread, I kind of think like, like Maximus is going to like stop and call him out. But actually, <laughs> but actually he's like, they're tired. They're hungry. Yeah. Like he's really chill with his men, and they seem to love him for it. And it's important that we get that he is the... Without trying, Maximus is just loved by people.
0: I think the reason being... He's, he's very much a soldier himself. And he's very humble in how he comes across, even though he's leading an army. He is one of the boys. He's one of the lads. He's in there. He's in the thick of it. He never shy away from it. Yeah, he is. So I think that's why.
1: Yeah, he is that guy who will never ask you to do something that he won't do himself. Yeah. Because he's right there on the front lines. And at this point, I've just got written down in my notes, James Horner is awesome. Because the score is so good in this. And this is one of the actually highest selling movie soundtracks of all time. Back when we used to actually exchange money for like music and things like that, like <laughs> people actually people bought this soundtrack. It was really, really well regarded. And it's actually, um, he's the first that we're going to say, this is a first for our podcast because it's the first time we've had someone come up twice. It's so James Horner. This is his second film we've done with James Horner. Anybody remember what the first one was?
0: Isn't Hans Zimmer in this?
1: Oh, I my mean, word, it is Hans Zimmer. I've totally got it backwards. It is Hans Zimmer, and I was, he's the guy who's come out twice. My apologies, Mr. Horner out there, and Mr. Zimmer. Apologies. <laughs> no, it is a Hans Zimmer score. Very good. And you know what else we heard Hans Zimmer do? Because I was sitting there going, no, that's not right. Hans Zimmer didn't do his I mean, Horner in my head didn't do that other score.
0: One we've well, already reviewed.
1: Yeah, something we've already done with Hans Zimmer. Batman. Oh. Yeah, it's the Dark Knight. Yeah. So he's got of... a
3: she got that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Apparently I don't because I'm getting my Zimmer and my Horner mixed up. <laughs> uh, you know, Horner's doing like Titanic at this time, not my <laughs> Gladiator.
3: Another three hour film that could have done with having bits cut out of
1: it. Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, I don't remember Maximus having to paint anybody like one of his French girls. <laughs> um, and so, there's a great speech at the start where um, Russell Crowe's, Maximus's sidekick, I didn't catch his name, his left, his lieutenant or whatever it is, has, People Quintus. Should, is it Quintus? Quintus, isn't it? Okay. Says people should know when they're conquered. Yeah. And Russell Crowe <laughs> looks and goes, Well, would you? Would I? Yeah. And there's cause no one wants to be conquered. And this is the yeah. double edged sword that is the, you know, colonialism and the Roman thing. From your perspective, it's the glory of Rome. From someone else's perspective, you're the jerk, for lack of a better word, who's taken away our way of life, our livelihood, yada, yada, yada. So they will die to the last man. And there is a great speech, which is very reminiscent of like, this is Russell Crowe's William Wallace sort of speech. And he's getting to it like four minutes into the film, where he says that what we do in life echoes through eternity. And I remember in 2000, I I saw that and heard that quote and went, yes. (laughs) Purpose. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) A little bit smaller the start of a new millennium as well when everyone's feeling really positive, like New Year's resolutions, you know, this is going to be my year (laughs) but this is going to be my decade, my millennium, like all of that kind of positivity that you get on the 1st of January. You mean the the
1: same positivity we saw January 1st 2020 when we thought, new decade, (laughs) this is going to be my... Yeah, least 2019 in the past. Let's go ahead and throw us on the table right now. Liam, I think this film is going to skew very heavily to down gender lines. Yeah, I think the okay. boys are going to like it, and I think the girls yeah. aren't. Because we, I saw your face when I brought up the lines. You are like, yeah, and so am I. And the girls are going to like, eh. I think you've already
2: <laughs> heard Martin and George's opinions <laughs> on the film in
3: little part, I so. I have some things to say about this film, and I will say them when we get to them. But the thing, I didn't hate it, okay. and I loved the fight scene. Okay. It was all of the smushy stuff in the middle that smushy. was too long. Okay.
1: Uh, so then as part of this battle... Like, the forest burns down, and actually, the forest literally burns down. Whatever region of England this was, there was some deforestation about to take place. Ridley Scott finds this out and says, do you mind if we burn it down for you? (laughs) And they went, yeah. And since then, like, this region has, like, just, like, rented their forests out to be burned by, like, all these other movie franchises. So, like, Harry Potter, The Avengers, I think uh, Kingdom of Heaven or Children of Men or something, they just all help burn down these forests. That.
2: Um, right. just, we just missed a, an important quote um, from when he, goes, when he goes down his line of men before they start fighting, he says, strength and honour and kind oh, of shakes and honor. their hands and stuff or, I can't remember exactly what
3: it does
1: yeah, strength And, honor, and he, yeah.
3: sniff, he sniffs the dirt That's important,
2: yes. he does that several times well, It's
1: actually interesting because both of these things were things that, Mel, not Gibson, that Russell Crowe claims he came up with himself So strength and honour is something he claimed he came up with and the dirt because he's a farmer and so before you go into battle, you pick up the dirt because you respect that from the dirt comes life, but to the dirt's where you shall return. And this is all stuff that he was doing on the back end to try and give some character to Narcissus slash Maximus. So yeah, really, really good points. And so they go through and there's a crazy battle scene here. The first one. It might be it might be the best one in the film, actually.
2: It's so good. Very graphic. Can I
0: just say this? What bit before the battle? Yeah, the dog. Okay, yeah, with yeah. The dog. Yeah. Um, camera focuses on the dog quite a lot, and if you notice, the dog follows him into battle. It does. And the loyalty of the dog as the loyalty of the army as well. It symbolizes both.
1: That's a good shout. I didn't notice. How does the does the dog react to Commodus at all? No, only only Maximus. Oh, it would have been great if he like they growled that like Commodus to go kind of like, he, you know, the dogs can sense good and evil and all that stuff. Yeah. No, so I no, have no. a
3: lot in my notes throughout that battle about the dog. I was really worried about the dog. I thought they were going to kill be... the dog. <laughs> um, I almost looked down that website. It does, does, does the dog die? Because I was getting really worried and I was like, do I need to look away at any point for this dog's death? <laughs> no,
1: you're right. Um, you right. I
3: know
1: just love the way the
0: dog follows him into battle. Like yeah. this.
1: The it's 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 that absolute trust, isn't it? Yeah. Like even when he gets asked, do you think um do you think the men will fight? He said only one way to find out. And so he pitches it, and they're all with him.
2: So you yeah. guys say dog, I say direwolf, because this battle was very reminiscent of Game of Thrones for me. It's it's got all of that kind of really intense graphic fighting, plus the dog, which is Running through the forest like a direwolf. And...
1: I mean, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Game of Thrones would have been shot better. Like, the production values <laughs> would have been higher. Not that they were bad here. They were good. I don't know if you yeah, noticed, okay. Liam, but about halfway through, we start getting this blur across this across the screen. Like, it starts like, trailing off, and it might feel like, okay, he's getting tired, or it shows are getting overwhelmed, or war, you kind of lose place of yourself and everybody else, because things were starting yeah. to slightly blur well actually what was really happening was they were running out of daylight mm-hmm. and it's so like any good director they go okay we can shoot tomorrow or if I adjust these settings on my camera it'll let more light in but it's going to result in some blurring and they went we don't want to be here tomorrow and they just said change the <laughs> change the settings Is and that's it like literally. went
3: slow-mo and they put like the music over the yep. top of it like the yep. really
1: juxtapositioned
3: yep. music that was great yep. I liked that oh, I was like great. I love this calming music over the top of a fight, fight yeah. scene that's great
1: and so Maximus wins and Dumbledore is relieved because Richard Harris is playing Marcus Aurelius, the original Dumbledore. Doing his Dumbledore. best impression
3: of Luke Skywalker in that last Star Wars film, at beginning there with his hood just stood there on a hill in, like, grey. I was like, oh, look, it's Luke Skywalker doing the
1: on a horse. A Couple of neat facts about Richard Harris in this film. Uh, he and Russell Crowe hit it off instantly and became instantly fast friends. So that warmth you feel between the two of them is genuine. They really did like each other. The second oh. one is Russell Crowe, when they kept giving him new lines, like because he would go to like shoot scenes and they'd have nothing for him. And he'd get frustrated and like walk off the set. Like he would get really temperamental and divish, which I mean, if you don't have a script to do, I someone to do that. Richard Harris went the other way with it. He didn't get upset. He just refused to learn the new lines. and would do the old lines no matter what. So they had to kind of like, (laughs) (laughs) so they had to kind of like, okay, we know Richard's going to say this no matter what. So what can we do to get where we want to go based off that line?
0: And, you know, maybe it's going to, sorry, go ahead, Liam. You know, the best bit that you just said about there, about no ego, um, having an ego, um, I'd put, um, even though Maximus is still, he helps Caesar on his horse. Yeah. He does a menial task of putting his feet in the stirrups. Yeah. And I put in big letters, no ego. <laughs>
1: yeah. Maybe that, that was all for, for off camera. Maybe. Um, and so then uh, as the war's over, in enters um, Connie Nielsen and Joaquin Phoenix. And I want to talk about Connie Nielsen for a moment first. Just because, A, she's Danish, and I don't know how you felt. Because I was talking to Ellie a little bit before we started recording. Could you could you guys hear an accent on Connie Nielsen where you're like, she doesn't quite sound like everybody else? Because I heard the Scandinavian in her voice, and I'm wondering if that's because my ear is a bit more sensitive to it because I've known a bunch of, like, Scandinavian hockey players <laughs> over the years.
3: I knew she no? didn't sound English, okay. but um, I didn't pick up what it was exactly. No. Okay. But now you've said that, that makes sense. I didn't notice
1: at all. It turns out she's like a historical like, genius when it comes to like, this time period. And so the film producers and Ridley Scott would come to her to guarantee the authenticity of certain elements, that what they were doing was legit. I love that. Which that's I cool. just think is really cool, especially because <laughs> I wasn't that impressed with her acting for the most part. Actually, that's not true. There were well, mo- good. Maybe it's the character I didn't like. Maybe it's the character I didn't like. Uh, but also now enter Walking Phoenix, who's our other repeat customer, if you will, of the thing. Because we obviously covered him in Joker, and Liam, you and I spoke about during Best Role Ever. Is this a, was Joker his best role? And you and I both went, I think it's Gladiator. So it's interesting to come back now and look at this. A mm-hmm. um, Little interesting story about Walking Phoenix. He was always Ridley Scott's first choice, but um, he came and when he started getting into the set, he he kind of overate. And so he looks quite plump in some of these scenes. And I guess Ridley Scott went ahead and and, and kind of was talking about it to someone else and it got back to Joaquin Phoenix. So he showed up in full armor and he said to Ridley Scott, look, I hear you think, I've got it down here somewhere, you think I'm a fat little hamster. <laughs> well, I thought if I'm going to be, you know, the spoiled, um, rich, entitled Caesar character, I'm going to overeat. That—that That's sign kind of the indulgence I do. I eat more than I should because I'm selfish and that's what I do. But fine, you don't want me to eat? I won't eat. And apparently he ate nothing for weeks afterwards. Aww. Like, Walking Phoenix is hardcore, as we saw in Joker. Like, the guy's just oh, on a different level.
2: I really liked sort of seeing him with a bit more sort of roundness to his face after seeing him in Joker because that's the only thing i would seen him in before where he's just emaciated.
1: Well, actually, on top of this, whenever he had to do a scene with Russell Crowe, he'd go up to Russell Crowe and ask Russell to, like, rough him up before the scene so he could get, like, agitated and proper broody and grumpy about it. And so Russell doesn't know what to do. And so he went to Richard Harris and went, what do I do? Joaquin wants me to, like, beat him up before we do every scene. And Harris just went, well, let's go get him pissed. So they, they took him out between like, uh, Scenes and they got him liquored up So he take the edge off And he could relax a little bit before doing his stuff So the more I hear about this The more, like, just the stories of Richard Harris I just appreciate that guy so much more
0: Yeah, especially the drinking ones Yes, yes Him and Oliver Reed Yes And uh, Peter O'Toole, I mean Jesus Notorious Very notorious
1: so we cut back to Maximus and it's really interesting how they bookend Maximus and Commodus throughout the film because they're very much polar opposites to each other. And he, Maximus is having a conversation with Marcus Aurelius and he goes, we're done fighting. And Marcus was always someone else left to fight. There was always someone else. And they start talking about what they wanted in life. And so, um, and as they, go, as they ride around, everybody starts cheering and uh, Maximus goes, oh, the men honor you. And Marcus Rose goes, no, no, they they honor you. And he's totally cool with it. He's cool with the idea that they love the general more than they love him. And that's, which is so missing in his son. So it's really interesting to see, this is how you lead. You just don't get fussed. Great, they can love both of us. It's not, you know, It's not to be one or the other. And so um, then shows up um, Joaquin Phoenix and Connie Nielsen and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Commodus goes, Have I missed the battle? And his dad just goes, You've missed the war.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and he says under his breath, but I think loud enough that uh, probably Commodus might be able to hear it. So much for the glory of Rome. <laughs> it's like, Oh, shoot. And I think later on, he says, You're the son I should have had to Maximus. Yeah. And I'm like, This is savage. Then he goes for a walk with his daughter and he says, let's pretend all this. Let's pretend for a moment that you are a loving daughter and I am a good father. And you wonder, is this a little bit of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge? They really are all this stuff. And she goes, it's a pleasant fiction. You go, no, I think for the most part he hit it. She's not a loving daughter and he's, and not, not, that, and he's not a good father. And
0: not only that, he did say he had been born a man what Caesar you would have made.
1: But he does ask what kind of Caesar you would be, because I don't think he's really that sure that she's that good of a person. He
0: asks
2: her whether she would have been
1: just. Would you have been just? She said, I would have done what was necessary. But, I mean, he, kn- he doesn't know who his daughter is. He sure as hell knows who his son is. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, Maximus and Marcus really have a conversation about what is home and what is Rome and what do these things mean and Maximus goes in this big speech about how when he needs to be a farmer and he wants to go home and smell the you know his wife's cooking and the breeze coming from the thing and what happened at that point was again um, Russell Crowe just went into ad lib mode and started describing how he felt about his Australian farm back back home for him Aww. and sort of repurposed that into this scene. Russell Crowe, who's born in New Zealand. So I don't know if technically if he's a Kiwi or if he's an Aussie. In the grand... He lives in Australia, but he's born in New Zealand. I don't know what that means. Who knows?
3: This is when we need Ethan. This is when we
1: <laughs> need Ethan. So, Ethan, if you hear this, let us know. Um, and so, Marcus really says, look, here's the deal. Rome needs to be a republic again. When I die, because I am dying, I need you to rule long enough to fix Rome, and then give it back to the people. And he goes, I can't do this. I don't want this. And of course the line is, that's why you have to have it. You're the only person who, who won't be corrupted by this. Yeah. And then to his credit, he does um, He does let down Commodus, or he plans to let Commodus down to his face, which is, I guess, to be credited. But before that happens, Maximus goes outside and runs into, what was her name? Lucilla? Lucilla. Okay, yeah. runs into Lucilla, and you can tell very quickly they're old flames, and there's a lot of sort of energy between them, and uh, every I thought, scene there's energy between them. Sorry?
0: Any, every single scene there's energy between
1: them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of lingering looks. And uh, um, Maximus brings up her son, Lucius, because that then allows him to bring up his own son, and I'm like, that's clever, because this, this woman was totally um, trying to Strike up a conversation, if not seduce Maximus to a degree. And yeah. by he, he by bringing up her son, he knew that it gave him the entry point to bring up his own, which I thought was really well done. Um, Commodus gets let down, and there is so much shadow on Joaquin Phoenix's face in this scene. It's yeah. like, yeah, but dark side is there; it, it's in his face. Um, and there is a great moment where Commodus goes, "I've tried to be all these things that you want me to be, but my virtues aren't your virtues." I, I have ambition. Is that not a virtue? I have courage. Not battle courage, but courage. Is that not a virtue? And during the speech, Marcus Aurelius, Richard Richard Harris, uh-huh. gets on his knees. like So he's making himself lower than his son, and he says, the faults you have as a man are my faults as a father. And I'm going, that's powerful stuff.
0: Deus. That is.
1: Cool.
0: And also, did you notice in the background, that sees Yes, I did. Which is lingering
1: over both of them. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So I wrote a translation of that line in my notes when I heard it, and I put, you're not good enough for the job, but that's my fault. It's Osburgh. That's how I took that.
1: <laughs> And then um, the Joker proves he belongs to House Slytherin as he kills Dumbledore.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you say that he knows his son, but I mean, if he really knew him that well, he probably should have had some guards in the room when he told him about the fact he was going to give the room to.
0: Don't he ever kill him?
1: No, I don't think he thought he was going to kill he
2: didn't him. Didn't know him that well then, did he?
1: Well, yeah, especially after the speech about ambition. But he he knows his son can't rule. He even says, "My son," he says to to uh, Maximus, "My son is an immoral man." He goes, "You've known that since a child," because Maximus always says the right thing to him. He's respectful in words, calls yeah. him highness. Da 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 da. Um and so then they, they, they summon Maximus and very quickly Maximus figures it out, but we get told uh by Commodus he goes your your Caesar asks your emperor asks for your hand of loyalty and he just turns around and walks out the room you, on him. I
2: only offer it once.
1: Yeah, I only offer it once, at so which point you mean but he walks out and that is enough to get his mate to come around, the guy who was his lieutenant earlier five minutes ago. Quintus. Quintus and, and say you shouldn't have done that you're to be executed. And so Russell Crowe's taken it like a man. He even tells his page, Cicero, you know, put the sword back. I, we don't need to do this. And he goes ahead and says, but just, says to Quintus, is that what you said his name was? Yeah. Okay. He yeah. says to Quintus, look after my family, will you? And he goes, your family will join you in the afterlife. And I'm like, damn, for turning your back on someone.
0: Um... Which I don't understand later on in the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's like yeah. his character has gone from one end to another end, back to the other end.
1: At least they did. They do try to explain it with some sort of logic later on. We've,
0: yeah. Just
2: before that, we've also got the bit where Lucilla slaps Commodus around the face as well and then kisses him on the hand and says, Hail Caesar. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of get that realisation that she, she knows what's
3: happened, but
2: she's too scared to do anything about it. She's her. also
1: the smartest one in the room.
2: Yeah.
3: George's translation of that bit. The creepy girl slaps the creepy guy and then kisses his ring. Blair.
1: <laughs> okay. Um. So um Russell Crowe's led out to slaughter. He escapes. Um in the in the process, he gets a bad wound on his arm. He rides as quickly as he can to Spain, because apparently he's a Spaniard. Uh yeah. he arrives in Spain only to find out that um his family has been. Um, someone got there before he did, and they have burned them and crucified them. We later find out because we see these charred black feet, and it's a nice reveal. And originally, the plan for that was they only wanted Russell Crowe to like shed like a tear or two, and he got to the Reverend Scott and went, "No, this is a proper like snotty crying mess kind of a scene. This is what this calls for."
2: Who sheds a tear or two when they're in the, like, their entire world has been burnt and crucified? I guess they're worried about
1: making sure he stays manly. But <laughs> in the first draft of the script...
2: A real man would cry.
1: In the, real, in the first draft of the script, like his family doesn't die in the oh. first act. So it's just about killing a man. They went. This film was not enjoyable. It's just watching someone kill someone. It doesn't make him any better. Like He needs this to be a, a revenge film. You need him to avenge something. Yeah. There also wasn't any focus on the afterlife. So it really was just, you killed someone, I'm going to kill you. You know, it's like a less exciting version of Taken in that regard. (laughs) Um, And so he passes out, and then we have like this weird acid trip kind of um, shot, which we get repeated before as well, with the cameras right above Russell Crowe's body. And the camera and his body are moving together on some sort of dolly. But the ground he's over is... It, it's the thing that appears that it's moving. It looks like he's staying stationary and the ground underneath him is moving. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like CTO. It might have just been like a, a steady shot with, with a moving green screen effect or something yeah, like that behind the thing as it well. But, I mean, yeah. Spike Lee does something similar like this as well as one of his sort of signature shots. So it was clear they were going for something here. I'm not sure it really hits, but they they they, they tried something. Yeah. And this is where we meet Juba. Juba played by, um, I don't want to get his yeah. name huh? wrong. Um Hansu, <laughs> who was in, I believe, on Amistad or Twelve Years a Slave. He was in one of those two films. Um and he's he's really underde he gets a couple of moments, but he's a really underdeveloped character. Very he's just kind of there to be so he, really he doesn't go anywhere. He's kind of Russell's buddy. Yeah. He 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 has the conversations we need him to have for as long as we need him to have him and then he just sort of disappears. Yeah. 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 And he goes to this place called Zukadar, where he is purchased as a fighting gladiator slave. After they apparently yeah. get rid of maggots in his arm. I wasn't oh, watching, but apparently grim. there are maggots in the wound.
0: Oh, yeah, they, they do. But maggots, maggots are the, they use them in hospital. Do they really? Yeah, yeah they, need need
3: flesh.
1: They, they eat dead flesh. Gross. Yeah. Gross.
3: But can we, just, can we just go over the reason that um, he gets the slaves for cheap? Because the... <laughs> The have, salesman had sold him giraffes well, that wouldn't make.
1: Well, we haven't and, we haven't got to that character yet.
3: Yeah, we have. No. The, he's just been sold as a slave.
1: Well, uh, he's gonna be sold as a slave. I haven't got the buyer out yet.
3: Oh, <laughs> I thought you'd skipped.
1: No, it. no, no. So, because I I got I got a few things to say about this, and I think Liam might as well. So okay. enter Proximo, and Proximo is played by the late great Oliver Harris. How Harris no, Oliver Reed. Reed. Oh, Reed. Oliver Reed. And Oliver Reed's story is hilarious in this. Because they wanted him to come out and go for the part. And he went, great. But they wanted him to read. And he went, I don't read for parts. I I am Oliver Reed. I don't read for parts. And whoever it was who said, he said, I'm a star. Whoever it was who was beside him went, I I didn't catch the guy's name. But it was, no, no, you need to get over yourself. You aren't an effing star. (laughs) You need to go read. And if Ridley Scott wants you to read it twice, then you read it twice. And so he agrees, he reads the part, he gets the part, but he tells Ridley Scott, after 5 p.m., my life is my own, so don't make me shoot beyond that. And Ridley Scott went, okay, fair enough, deal. I won't make you stay past 5 p.m. And it said that his number one interest in doing the film was he wanted to go to London, he wanted a free trip to London so we could see a couple of shows. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is where we get Proximo, uh, Oliver Reed, of course, being, as you said, Liam was a notorious alcoholic. Apparently when they were figuring out his insurance.
0: He used to frequent in a in things in as well. Okay. Whenever he was passing by.
1: Apparently when he was signing up, they had to make everybody go get insurance. And when they did his insurance tally, they said, Do you drink? And the way he goes, Oh, I only drink at parties. And they went, All right. They went, Alright, Mr. Reed, how many parties do you go to a week? <laughs> yeah. So this is where we find out that there's a story reason why he's gonna get these slaves. Georgia, what would that be?
3: He's got to get the slaves because the last thing he bought from this person was some giraffes, but the giraffes won't mate. And he just refers to them offhandly as you've sold me queer giraffes. And it really made me giggle because I thought that was a great line to be in a film about ancient Rome, something about queer giraffes. And then you see the giraffes later and they're just chill. I thought it was great.
1: And so he introduces himself to the the men he's just purchased and basically says, you are here to fight. You are here to fight for me. Um... You know, enjoy your last days because they very much are your last days. Make your peace. And with he
3: it. gropes, he gropes the naked man with the good bum.
1: He does grope the and, and f- Apparently, before he did that, he said something like, "Have you ever had your testicles grabbed by?" Oh, do, do you believe in method acting? Is what he said. <laughs> do you believe in method acting? And when they went action, he actually did it. <laughs> and so the actor said, "How many guys can say they've they've, they've had their testicles grabbed by Oliver Reed?" <laughs> Absolutely. So, and then we go he did to, have a good bum, though. Then we, there's a training montage, and we find out quickly <laughs> that much like Katniss Everdeen, um, Russell Crowe will not fight, he will not practice, he will not kill. Wow. And what then, he, I know, right? <laughs> and then he gets into the first match, and there was a lot of pro wrestling I wanted to bring into this. It was really weird. So the first one's like a tag team match that you're literally chained to somebody else, and he's chained to, to Duba. And they quickly kind of realize if they talk and speak a little bit together, but his leadership as well as his skills can get them through it. And against all odds, they, like, beat these guys who were supposed to win. You can tell because they've got, like, armor and, like, animal heads on. Yeah. And they're all massive. So I was like, alright. Um, oh, and... One thing say about the
0: gladiators. Back in the actual ancient Roman times, they were all kind of big, more fatter yeah. But- than what you see on the screen, because the reason being was so they could absorb the, the impact of the swords and flesh wounds, they heal better yeah. and more protection.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So as they're cheering for Maximus, we then cut back to Commodus, who is now entering Rome like he's won something.
2: In a chariot. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so... um there's some sort of reference that she would have made. Uh oh, what's her? I'm, I'm not I promise I'm not playing the joke this time. What was the name of the woman again? Lucilla. Lucilla. That Lucilla would have been a better Caesar than Commodus would. Everybody seems to be in agreement about that, but obviously it can't be the case. Uh Commodus quickly reveals he wants the Senate gone. Um she's gonna take care of all the he just wants to like play with his sword. That's not a euphemism. He just wants to play with his sword as they talk about like business and doing things. And then he decides, the problem is that people love victories. And so what can I give them? I can give them games. That's what people want. They want games. And like, no, no, people want the plague to be gone. He's like, no, games. This is how we're going to do it.
3: <laughs> Politics and so, today, everyone. And so,
1: exact, distraction, exactly. And so he goes, look
3: over there. Drag race reference for anyone who's listening.
1: Excellent. Hashtag, hashtag sachet away. Uh, so they're going to do <laughs> 150 days of games. Uh, and so there's a message about how it's not the beat of the Senate that rules Rome. It's the roar of the Colosseum, which is going to be important as we go along. That's where you win the hearts of the people. Yeah. Um, now we cut back to um, Proximo, and he's telling Maximus, You need to realize, yes, you can win all the fights you want to win, but you got to win the crowd. Gee, where have I just heard that phrase before? And so he says, you're an entertainer. You're not just a fighter. And so they have fight number two, which I don't know what's going on because it's like everybody against Maximus, but they all respect him like way too much and only come at him one at a time. I guess it's like an honor Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. That is, it,
3: like a, that is like a wrestling match. Like, it is.
1: There's so many
3: moments in wrestling matches that are like, dude, guys, like this is obviously staged. Because if not, you just all go for it at once.
1: But I mean, to, to make, I'm not going to be too big of a point there, but there's an idea of it. It's not like, you know, the people who have been really, really good popular wrestlers over the years, your Hulk Hogan's or your Rock's. It's not the guys who had the best athleticism. No. It's people who could just go to the crowd and make them go, yeah, who ended up being big megastars. So, it's this kind of concept, you know, this is entertainment, is what Proximo keeps saying. It's not just a fight for your life. I don't need a soldier. I need, I need an entertainer. And so he finishes by getting these two swords and, like, beheading this guy with one move. And then he throws the so swords cool. into the box and does the great, are you not entertained? Great line. Love that. Great line. I think. At
3: which point in my notes I wrote, not really, this film is too long. Oh,
1: no, it's good. Oh, no, it's just getting good. So... At this point, Proximo calls Maximus to dinner and they sort of talk about this and we find out Proximo at one point himself was a slave and a gladiator and won his freedom when Marcus Aurelius taps him on the shoulder. Uh, he says, if you win the crowd, you can win your freedom. And we find out they're going to go to Rome, which is convenient because that's where everybody else in the movie is. So it's nice they're to come together.
0: You know, it's quite ironic, the fact that he says that, you know, Marcus Aurelius touched him mm-hmm. and yet Maximus has had this intimate relationship with him, and such, being um, his general. Well, Maximus, he never, said, he never says to Proximo about.
1: It. Like Maximus, even laughs when he goes, "You knew Marcus. I didn't say I knew yeah. him. I said he touched me once." And because yeah, exactly. he's holding back. He's holding back his ace card. He's not telling anybody his real identity. No. So it was a bonding session between um, Juba and. Maximus on the roof of some building where they talk about the afterlife and if they think they'll see their spouses there and he says, Yes, yes, I think I will, and maybe if I have to go if I die tomorrow, um, Juba says, Then I will have to wait for them and that's okay. And then the otherwise he says, Maximus, you don't have to die today or tomorrow. He says, You'll see them, just just not yet. And they repeat, Not yet, not yet. And it's a nice yeah. moment. It's like one of the few moments where we get like It was a, cute. It was a nice moment. As the sun goes down. Um, Commodus. I've just got here. We have a scene with him, and I said Commodus. Creepy uncle and creepier brother.
3: He's so creepy. He's like incestuous, pedophile creep.
1: See, I I read about this, and I never interpreted it as uh, pedophilia. And it was supposed to be that when he watches him sleep, he's showing his sister just how much um, power he's got and how he can ruin her. Mm -hmm. However, I also... uh, teach media studies and part of the deal is you can't control the way someone interprets your text so if they've, if a large enough group of people are reading it this way, then you've, you, you've made a mistake somehow, because the, they're not decoding it in the way you want them to decode the scene yeah. but that was never supposed to be something you walked away with but, I mean, you want to make someone creepy go even creepier, that's a, good way to, that's a good way to do it
3: Again, going back to George's notes for this, I have He's still being such a creep with his nephew this time, he's a creep and he's incest, Fun.
1: We find out he's afraid of a dark, and then he says, "Stay with me tonight." And I think we know it's loaded with like um, insinuation about what take that's you going back to be. Game of Thrones link. Yeah, <laughs> he's a. Uh, oh, what are they? He's, he's a Lannister. Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. This ties in perfectly. When, um, oh, Jack Gleason, who would go on to play Joffrey Baratheon, when he was getting ready for how to play his role as King Joffrey. He actually looked at Walking Phoenix's performance oh in this to get like an idea of how he wanted to play the character. So, I you see that. So, those links do kind of make sense. And you, you do see that small but sociopathic kind of energy to it. So, then we find out very quickly here that Antela? Angela? Lucilla? Lucilla. Luc- okay, I've got it now. Lu- Lucilla. Lucilla's a double agent and she's sort of playing with the Senate and trying to keep things kind of working back and forward but everyone's too afraid to do something and she makes the reference I'm in a prison of fear and I hope you like that metaphor because it's gonna come back over yep. and over and over I'm in a prison of fear I'm in a prison of fear I'm in a prison of fear okay we we get it I thought
2: that was really lazy writing like there's some other <laughs> stuff that comes back and like, appreciate. it. Maybe they it. just
1: photocopied the previous day's words yeah. and gave them to her again. I was
3: say, is it hardly surprising if they started filming this <laughs> with only like half an hour ready?
1: So they enter Rome, and Maximus is there, and there's this prostitute who's like hanging all over him, and he's just oh. no selling it. And they find out she when want they, a
3: piece of that booty.
1: They find out when they get to the Colosseum. The Colosseum. This is in Malta now. Uh, the bits before were in Morocco. This is the bit in Malta, and they built a fictitious, obviously, version of the Colosseum, which was about a third of the size it needed to be. It would seat about five thousand people, and they used CGI to do the top two levels, but there were like yeah. two thousand extras in in place. That's cool. And so they were gonna. Apparently, what's gonna happen is each day they're gonna sort of recreate a famous battle in Roman history, and this is the massacre at Carthage. And um, this is, but before we go out, this is where boy wonder Lucius meets Maximus. And what do we think about the kid who played Lucius? I thought he was all right for what he was. He was good. good. Yeah. 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 Usually child actors kind of get on my nerves for being overly precocious. I thought he was totally believable the whole way through.
3: And he yeah. actually looked scared at points yeah. as well, which he is quite scared, difficult yeah. to, he children looked to scared. do. Yeah. He
1: looked like uh, Maximus was his hero and he was supposed to do that. Like, he was just believable yeah. in everything. And I think children yeah. actors, less is more. I shouldn't be sitting there going, wow, that kid's so good, because it means you're trying too hard, and therefore you're looking like an actor and not like a child. So I thought yeah. he was good. Um, so, long story short, Maximus and company uh, beat these uh, chariots that are zooming around them by putting like a... Spear in the spokes, and not breaking ranks, and he's very much the general here.
0: One of my favorite moments at this point is when Commodus goes,
1: "Woo!" Yes, and we get <laughs> we get told very early on, over and over again, do, if you do not turn your back on the emperor, do not turn your back on the emperor, do not get <laughs> something. One, I you what Maximus is going to do here?
0: Yeah,
1: and yeah.
2: Can we just talk about the music in this? Yes. This scene as
1: well. Is this the, is this the scene? I, yeah. I, I had it later, but it, does it also happen yeah, here? Yeah,
2: this is, this is where I wrote it down.
1: Okay, so I'm going to play two pieces of music, okay? And these two pieces of music are from, well, the first piece of music is from um, Gladiator. But the second one, I'm not going to tell you what it's from, but I want you to tell me if these two things sound very similar, okay?
3: If it's Good. what I think it is, I have it written down as well Excellent. in like three notes time. <laughs>
1: Okay, and then here is from film number two.
0: I did hear it, but I went, can pin along them lines? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was just because I, I was writing you know,
1: I didn't catch it until the second know. time that piece of music hit, and I went, Oh hang on. Yeah, this is.
3: Yeah, no, I have the note. I like the music. It reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, to be like fair,
1: <laughs> Gladiators first.
3: Oh, yeah yeah, 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 I know. I I, I liked the music. Thankfully, it was
1: good. Thankfully, same guy. Because Zimmer yeah. did get a couple of complaints about a couple of pieces of music he did in this film as feeling like he ripped some people off. But thankfully, this one was just his future self.
2: Some pretty lazy repetition, though, isn't it? <laughs> the, the What's well, interesting is that
1: it's the main part of the theme here. But in Pirates, it's kind of just like a middle... It's kind of like a transitional piece in that Pirates theme. That's I'm really familiar with that. Well, the bit from Pirates we know is... That's your hook. I guess,
2: it, I guess it's because I've played the like kind of a medley of the Pirates music in a yeah. band loads of times. Yeah. So I'm really familiar with all of the, like, the different sections. So to me, that... Well, like, I, I know it. Really
1: I definitely familiar. know it. It makes it, it. felt like Pirates in the middle I heard it. But if you're going, what's the main melody? We're all going... Dun, 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 are we yeah. not...
3: I think there you're we talking were. to the wrong people because I'm really, really familiar with the Pirates soundtrack. So again, like Ellie, I'm going, know that... It's like the bit I really like.
1: Oh, that's the bit you... It's not, it's not the main... Bum, bum, ba, da, dun, dun, no, da, no,
3: no, no. It's the, it's the bigger bit for me. Yeah. <sighs> well,
1: there's a reason why they start and finish with the bit that I'm singing because hashtag Ian is right. So here we go. <laughs> well, yeah, before they go to start the fight, Um, they're supposed to salute, and everybody else salutes except for Maximus. His eyes never leave Commodus, but he does not raise his weapon. He does not save a salute before he happens. And, um... Oh, there's a great bit where Duba, Jumanzu Hansu takes off his helmet and, like, kills a guy with it? Yeah. Oh, that was vicious. But then Commodus comes down and meets him, and Commodus is in black, right? Because he's the villain. He is Darth Vader.
0: And we need... We need this pointed out now for later on. For later
1: on, and so yeah. as he comes down, uh, Maximus is getting an arrowhead, which is clearly he's going to kill the emperor. And if he dies here, that's fine. He's got his vengeance. He can rest in the afterlife. But then Lucius comes down as well to meet his favorite gladiator, and and Commodus sort of has his arms around him, and so like you literally cannot get to him for fear of the boy. Yeah. And so he says, introduce yourself. And he just goes, my name is Gladiator. And then he turns his back on Commodus. So Commodus gets um, angry. Don't turn your back on me. And then yeah. finally he says, fine, you want to know who my name is? My name is Maxidus Deridus Medidus, or whatever his name, name is.
0: My name is Maximus Medesimus Meridius, commander of the army of the north, husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son. I will get my vengeance in
1: his life for the next. Very good. Emperor. My
3: name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my
2: father. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare to die. Does see, he actually say commander of the army of the north?
1: Yeah, c- 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 commander of... <laughs> yeah, Game of, of Thrones there, there we go. So north of the wall. <laughs> you know nothing Jon Snow. Um,
0: the emperor of Rome. Marcus, really.
1: Yeah. Yes, he does that too. And he goes ahead and he really kind of... Um, It's it's important to have that I'm going to kill you speech ready to go because it's a a good one. And the bit where I will have my vengeance in this life or the next, Russell Crowe at first refused to save a line. He didn't think it was good writing. And the writer of the line, he's probably right, it probably was bad writing. Apparently Russell Crowe said, and I quote, I'm the greatest actor in the world and even I can't make this sound good. Well, (laughs) To which point I'm like, Easy, Russell. You haven't even won your Oscar yet. <laughs> no, this is what held him to fame, wasn't it really? Like he, he, I remember he got some love for the insider. He got some love for that, but he wasn't a he wasn't a household name. He wasn't a proven lead actor. Far from it. And so the the crowd starts chanting, "Live, live, 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 live!" Because you know Commodus is thinking about you know offing him, and he looks around and realizes, "Crap, I can't do this." And so he gives the thumbs up. Now, I hate to be a stickler, but actually a thumbs up meant kill him in ancient yeah. times. And a thumb down, the thumb is your, is your, is your sword. And so if a thumb's down, it means sheathe your sword. Maybe Connie
2: Nielsen wasn't on set
1: that day. Well, I th- th- they all knew about it, but decided because of the way we in modern times associate thumbs up good, thumbs down bad, that is what we will actually do. And so we have this great reveal because he gets taken back, he being Maximus, to the prison and then someone comes in, and then out of the shadows comes Lucilla. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, wow. But I think that's also fitting for her character. She is hiding in the shadows.
2: And wouldn't you know she's been living in a prison of fear.
1: Living in 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 his literal pr- He's probably going, okay, I hear your metaphor. I'm actually living in a prison, and I am also afraid. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, it is a good job, though, where they go ahead and go, This is sort of um this is like you know, she is trapped. She is trapped because of who her son is.
0: You know the soldiers that are surrounding him at this point? Yep. Without any hesitation, they open up, let him out. Are they the soldiers he commanded?
1: No. No, because we find out later through uh, Cicero that his his army is up north a little bit, and he's going to Cicero's going to gather them together, isn't he?
0: I just wonder why Quintus is there then.
1: Uh, I guess since he's done his bit, he's come. I think he's been he's come home in a promoted post. I would assume because they oh, say someone okay. new is over there, don't they?
0: It's just strange how they open up to let Maximus out without any hesitation. Uh,
1: I think they know who the good guy is here. Yeah, um, Lucilla tells Maximus that today she saw a slave become more powerful than the emperor and she's got it figured out the men don't for the most part she sees how this is all going to play out she is, her father was right if only she'd been a man because she's clearly the smartest player in the game and so I mean, there's a nice little moment where there's a nice little moment where one of the men kind of tastes Maximus's food for him to show that his men are now actually willing to put their lives in the line to protect him it's the thought, big guy from the, it's the beginning it's the as well. the big guy from the training session who kept smashing him, yeah. Um, and then he has to fight another one. This, this guy who comes out of retirement, five years and defeated, Titus of Gaul. And Liam, you'll appreciate this. Titus of Gaul was originally supposed to be Lou Ferrigno.
0: Really? Yeah, it
1: was, but then oh, somewhere, cool. along the, somewhere along the way it didn't work. I don't know if he, wouldn't, if he wasn't uh, up to it anymore or what the deal was. Oh, that's a shame. And there's tigers, and the tigers are really there. That's not CGI. Those okay. tigers are legit. It my,
0: oh. Yeah. I can say to you, was that CGI? No, that was because real. That did look real to me.
1: No, it, it was real. So they were being uh-huh. held. There was a rule that the tigers had to always be held 15 feet. Away from Russell Crowe. Now that sounds like a lot, but if there was a tiger fifteen feet away from me, it's gonna feel real close. Yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. I mean, when you're you like,
3: can as well. you can tame tigers quite well, but even so, well, like they, they're still wild animals, aren't these they?
1: Tigers were absolute pros to the point, that they were so used to like being on movie sets and things like that that in between takes they'd like fall asleep and they'd have to like prod Aww. them so they could wake up and be more tigerish. Well, the scene's not nearly as exciting if the tigers are napping during the fight scene. <laughs>
3: That's so cute. (laughs) I do have in my notes, though, poor tiger. Rome is the reason we have endangered species.
1: (laughs) So he goes to kill Titus after a big, long fight. Of course, Maximus wins. And everyone's shouting, kill, kill, kill. And um, Commodus gets up and gives the thumbs down. And of course, Maximus is going to show him up one more time. And he gives him mercy.
2: Takes the historical accuracy.
1: Yeah. And everybody, yes, everybody chants. Maximus, Maximus, Maximus the
2: Merciful. Someone, Maximus as the Merciful,
1: well. and down comes um, Commodus to have another conversation. And he goes, you know, I want to let you know that uh, your son squealed like a girl when they burned him when and crucified him. him, the him.
2: Cross,
1: yeah. And then, uh, and your, your wife moaned like a whore. Your when wife they moaned ravaged her over world. and over again. And Maximus, it might be bugging him, but he's not. He's cool as a cucumber, and says, "Soon the time for celebrating yourself will be over." And I'm like, whoo.
2: That was intense.
1: So Cicero shows up. Cicero, who actually uh, is from Braveheart. He's the one actor who's in place both in Braveheart and in this film as well. He's one of my favorite actors. He's, He's great. Yeah, Tommy something. Tommy Tom to Flanagan. Tommy Flanagan, yes. Flanagan. He's also in Sons of Anarchy. He is. And uh, in in Braveheart, he's the guy who, um, like the Lord, has it off of his wife on their on their wedding night, as part of yeah. his right. And so William Wallace kind of brings him in under his wing, and he gets to be like his like sidekick for half the film. Uh, he says, "Tell them their general lives." Off he goes. Then we have a really cute scene again between Maximus, who's been given these like little trinkets that represent his son and his wife and himself, and he sort of you know, praying and wishing uh, good things to through, through the Roman gods to them. And Duba comes in and goes, can they hear you? And he goes, I think so. I hope so. And he goes, well, what do you talk about to them? And he goes, well, my son, I tell him how to ride a horse. And for my wife, and he kind of gives it a beat and goes, that's none of your business. And I'm like, <laughs> Maximus is so much more likable whenever Duba's around. I'm like, yeah, this is the movie I want. I want the two of them going around Rome solving crimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> always ending with like always ending with like big fights at the end or something like that i'd well take out that um, maximus and proximo have a conversation about what's important to them and he says proximo says look i know you're a man of honor i do know you're a man of honor but i am an entertainer and i'm here to get rich why do i want commodus to leave commodus has brought me back to the capital for the first time in 5 years and he, he says, me money. making me money, tons of money. He says, the irony, of course, being that it was his father who he's honoring with these games who kicked him out of the Capitol in the first place.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, and Maximus just says, you know, he killed the man who set you free. And like walks yeah. out on that. And I'm like, good, good mic drop spot. Good mic drop spot. Mm-hmm. Um. Lucilla breaks Maximus free from some of his chains and whatnot. And then I've got creepy Commodus is really creepy. I've got
2: creepy, rapey, incesty
1: scene. Yeah. Well, first it comes across, and this is the lack of self-awareness, I think, that you see in Commodus. He comes across Lucius, and he's got some servants, and they're playing sword fighter, right? And it's actually very reminiscent of at the start of the film. We haven't talked about it, but there's one cutaway where Commodus is, like, sword fighting with, like, five different guys, and he's got some skills.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, choreographed. Which is, yeah, 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 which leads on into with the nephew.
1: Yes, absolutely. And he goes, what are you, are you a legionnaire? Oh, I love playing legionnaire. And he goes, no, 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 I'm a gladiator. He goes, gladiator? And he says, wouldn't you rather be a great warrior? And I'm like, dude, you're the guy who didn't show up to the war. This (laughs) is what you do. All you do is you play legionnaire. You're not a legionnaire. You pretend to be one. Yeah, you're using a proper metal sword and you've got your shirt off in the middle of Germania, but you're doing the same thing. You've just got servants helping you live out this fantasy that you are some excellent warrior. Yeah. So yeah, just a thought. Um, and so all of a sudden now um, his sister Luc- Lucilla comes back after plotting some big plan with Maximus. I'm going to get you out of here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And he, Commodus tells Lucilla about this uh, emperor named Claudius. Who was betrayed by his own blood, and uh, they conspired against him, and he found out, and he hurt those who they loved, and asked the little bee what to do, and the little bee told him everything, and then um... we see clearly the plans that Lucilla has made. She outs everybody to save her son. Yeah. And I can't judge Lucilla for this, can you? No, because as he's going through his threats, you just see her start to cry. So I'll I'll give this to the actress. I kind of crapped on a little bit earlier before I recanted. Uh, Oh, what's her name? Connie Nielsen. She did a good job in this scene.
2: Yeah, Yeah. did a real good job in the scene. Because he's telling Lucius the story, isn't he? And she, but kind of, he's not really. He's saying
1: it to her without saying it to her. Yeah. And even Lucius is kind of picking up on what's going down here, I think.
3: It's another good mark for the boy who played him, actually. He acted that scene really, really yeah, well. Yeah,
1: and, and not to do too much. Yeah. Not to do too much, because really, this is Joaquin Phoenix's scene. And um, as they're raiding Proximo's stable of slaves, Proximo lets him out. And uh, Maximus asks him, are you in danger of becoming a good man? And it's interesting because this I think is a bit of a, a change because originally there was supposed to be a bigger finish for Oliver Reed's character. He was supposed to fight with Maximus as well in the oh, arena. Like his punishment for this was going to be you have to fight together in the arena. And uh the problem was they were given a week off. Oliver Harris, who had Oliver Harris, Oliver Reed, who had been on his best behavior to this point went off and got involved in a drinking contest somewhere and was doing very well.
0: It's not good either.
1: Sorry?
0: It's not good either, the outcome. No, no,
1: because he has a heart attack and he dies. Yeah. And so as a result, at this point, they go, we could reshoot everything because we have insurance for this. We can recast the actor. And uh, Ridley Scott went, no, actually, I think he was doing something really special with that role. We're going to keep that in, and so through the use of a body double and some CGI, they finished the last couple of scenes or things they were supposed to do. Liam, something you want to add?
0: Yeah, that was my question to you. Do you think that was cgi Because that looked cgi to me. That scene? I question, so that makes sense.
1: That scene was, I, I If it's. I don't know for sure, but I think that's the scene which I rested on going, that's the I one that they CGI'd, it. yeah. Yeah,
0: because that looked cgi to me, but I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah. That was my question to you. That's my but thought. Now,
1: no, it feels like it, it is that, yeah. yeah. Um, so the escape. This is where the score for Pirates of the Caribbean shows up again. Uh, <laughs> the escape goes wrong. We find out that Cicero's on a horse, but he's got like a rope around his neck, and they capture Maximus. After like a like even the big buff guy from the start like gives his life to like help get him out, again showing the loyalty of the men, right?
2: And as he leaves, he says to them, "Strengthen, honor. strengthen honor." Comes as back, yeah.
1: Start, yeah, yeah. So. And then we find, and at the same time, we have senators. We get snakes put in their bed. Da 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 da. And then Commodus is saying to someone, we don't know who it is, about how oh, it's his, it's his, it's his little um, snivelly guy in the Senate. And he says, "They all got yeah, we got them all. We've got more. We got him. More. Okay, great. I am going to make Lucius stay with me. And if my sister doesn't like it, I will kill him. And if she tries to be honorable and noble and kill herself." I will kill him. And he turns around and she's in the room. For the yeah. second time in the movie, I'm going, that's a great reveal that she's somewhere I didn't think she was. Mm-hmm. And then he goes up to her and says, am I not merciful? And she pauses and he screams, am I not merciful? Which remember, it's <laughs> Maximus the Merciful, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Before
2: he says that though, he also says that she will love him as he loves her and provide him with an air of true blood.
1: Yes, the, he, he wants a baby
2: proper creepy but
1: the am i not merciful yelling line ad lib and she did not know it was coming so the fear in her (laughs) face is legit because she did not know it was going to be there as someone who occasionally has gone off script a bit and yelled at someone in the face on stage before it is nice when they don't break as a result (laughs) was
2: was that
1: me no you knew it was coming
2: okay uh not the first time
1: if richard abel's out there that's totally about you buddy (laughs) i yelled at you a couple times (laughs) you didn't know it was coming you've always done brilliantly And so we set up this final battle because he figures out the only way I can win is I have to take him on in the arena. And he goes down and they have a small com. He calls him brother, which is a really creepy thing by Commodus and really effective, I thought. But they talk about how, you know... uh, The second
3: time though, isn't it? That's why.
1: Yeah. Something Marcus Aurelius said to him, said to Maximus at the start, is that every man has to look death in the eye at some point, uh, or death smiles at every man at some point. The best a man can hope for is that he can smile back, and so you know Commodus thinks he's being all tough and goes, "Well, what happened to your friend? Did he smile back?" He goes, "I don't know. Only you would know. It was your father." I'm like, "Oh," but then he oh snap! But then he he whispers in his ear and goes, "Smile for me, brother," and then he like stabs him, shanks him in the side, and this is actually what would happen. There was a real emperor named Commodus, and he would fight. I think he thought three or four times in the. Gladiator arena proper, and his servants or his lackeys would stab his opponent in the back before the fight was to begin, so that he always had an unfair advantage.
2: And then put the armor
0: on over the
1: top. Put the armor up, disguise it over the top, and then they come up from from this like raising platform with like shields covering them all. Yeah, Liam.
0: We need to also discuss the fact that he's wearing white. Yes, I was going to
1: say that. It comes up, and he's in white. And uh, yeah. Like if you want to do something super. Super powerful. It's you take a color like white, which we associate with purity and goodness, and you put that on an evil person. And at this point, his eyes are dark and sunken in. He's even lost a bit baby, of that baby fat. Oh, it's just the perfect villain look. Yeah, yeah. That's so creepy. And as they come up, also, red flowers are flying down all over, almost foreshadowing the bloodshed that is to come. And so um, they get out there and they have a fight. And despite his injury, who would have thought the greatest general and gladiator in Rome would actually be able to hold his own against the emperor. And so he knocks his sword off. And just before this, I should mention that uh, Maximus has had a little bit of a sidebar with his old lieutenant. And he goes, did you know why did you do this i was oh, just following orders he goes you can't you can't go by that i'm just following orders you know we're, we're held to a higher standard than just following orders and so but do you know
0: what i like about this scene what he gets his sword and he throws it away from him.
1: yeah at, so the, he start, has to at the start yeah, at the start he's doing a, yeah he's doing that and then as he overcomes and the crowd rallies and all this stuff begins um Commodus has a sword knocked off and he's panicking. He says to the lieutenant, give me your sword, and he goes, no. He doesn't say
2: anything. Oh, he, just, he, he just, just stands just there. there really
1: and then he goes to and he says, well, one of you, give me your sword. And one goes, one goes to give it to him, and he goes, shave your sword. And I'm like, oh, the lieutenant's kind of having... I agree. It's a little bit out of nowhere. I think he needed that word in check.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't like that scene too much with Quintus, because he flipped too quickly.
1: Um, we... I agree. We, we could have done with like one or two shots, close-ups of his face, maybe feeling conflicted as the fight's going on to explain oh. that. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that.
2: I do agree, but we did have that scene earlier on that we haven't talked about where he gets him to um, give the command to kill all of the other soldiers. Oh, that soldiers. is true, yeah. Um, so he, so Commodus gets the, the archers to kind of draw, what's the, what's the term? Sort of pull back, to draw pull, back? pull back the... Georgia,
1: you kind of probably do archery. What's, what's that called when you pull the bow back?
2: It's just drawing, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he gives the command to actually draw, but then makes Quintus give the command to fire, even though he doesn't agree with it. And yeah. I think that's probably a moment where Quintus starts to go, oh, maybe this guy's not so great after all.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, and so um, he goes ahead and Commodus, in his fear or something, goes ahead and grabs this, little dagger, but he's got stashed in his glove and he brings it out. He starts waving it around and Maximus really kind of, after doing the whole fist fight fight club thing, um, Maximus kind of grabs the blade and sort of ever so slowly and it's really slow pushes it towards Commodus and the whole arena goes quiet and all you hear is the struggle as, as Commodus realizes he's going to lose And you hear him struggle and gasp. And it's almost in that regard very similar to watching. It's almost like a hug. And it's almost like a mirroring of how his father dies in the first act. Yeah. And he sits there and he dies. And then Maximus gives his final instructions, uh, which the soldiers, and he gives instructions to, is it Quintus? I'm sorry, I keep doing this. And he says, release my men. And all of his instructions are obeyed. And now Quintus is back to being a soldier taking orders from a general who deserves to have orders taken from. And he tells um, Lucilla that Lucius is safe. And then Maximus dies after he's told by uh, Lucinda to go to them. And then the the big senator comes down and goes, who will help me carry him? And in a touching moment... Like little Lucius will come help, but you know, he's just going to be getting in the way if I'm being honest, isn't he? (laughs) When they do that
3: um, far out cut from behind him, they're actually carrying um, Maximus like above their heads. And then you just see little Lucius stood near his mum, like as they're carrying him out. So obviously, he didn't help. help. (laughs) I wanted to help!
0: But you think, well, you see them carrying him off, and Commodus is just still laid there, left.
1: Yeah. So then, so then, yes, everyone's left him alone. Like he's just laying there yeah. off to the side. In his yeah. white. In his wife. Uh, Duba, we then cut to Duba burying the little figurines and says to Maximus kind of from the, I will see you again, my friend, but not yet. Not yet. Which is a great moment. And Liam, the question I have for you, would it have been better the way it was supposed to be, which is Proximo was supposed to bury those figurines?
0: Yes. Oliver Reed.
1: Been. Because if you think about yeah. how antagonistic that relationship was, this brings it kind of, you know, full circle, not full circle, but it kind of all the way around to the other side, like it's fixed it now, right? Yeah. Because at first, he, you are people who I am buying to make me rich. Your life means nothing to me. And then all of a sudden, it's, you were my friend. Yeah. But on a side note, talk about animosity between those two characters, uh, Oliver Reed and Russell Crowe took an instant disliking to each other, and at one point, Oliver Reed challenged Russell Crowe to a fight. <laughs> the the more i hear about oliver reed and richard harris the more actually scrap my idea about russell crowe that's the buddy cop movie i want to see i want to see richard harris and oliver reed just i want not even a like a tv series just them traveling and drinking that's all i want um And so that more or less is the final shot. We go from the Colosseum, and the shot rises above the Colosseum and tilts, and we focus on Rome. And it's not about the battle anymore. It's back to being Rome and the Republic again, just like Marcus Aurelius wanted. And that is the film. Before we do our general overall, just a couple of notes. I said it was a physical shoot. Russell Crowe suffered a a finger that was so badly damaged he couldn't feel with it for the next two years. That's like mine! (laughs) He re-aggravated an Achilles injury. He broke his foot and he cracked his hip during the shoot. And at one point... During the opening sequence, when they're in Germania, his horse got spooked and he rode into some branches and you see scars and like uh, like wounds on his face when he goes to meet Marcus Aurelius that night. Th- those scratches aren't makeup. They're the results of him riding through his bramble. Is but it would make sense given, the, given a, a battle.
2: Is this more injuries than Wesley in Princess Bride? Yes, it is. Wow.
1: So maybe Mel Gibson was right to go, I might be too old for this. <laughs> Riggs. <laughs> I'm too old for this. (laughs) Um, And as weird as it would be, they have been trying for years to figure out a sequel to this film. The problem with a sequel to this film is you killed off Russell Crowe. So how do you do it? So they thought about a prequel, and then they'll do a sequel that focuses on Lucius for discovering that Maximus is his real dad. But then what do you do? Because like he was this devoted father. like It's it's really messed up, because we've established that both the kids are the same age, his son and her son. On a total side note, before I jump into this, Ridley Scott would go on to marry the woman who played Maximus' wife. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is really weird.
3: She was really pretty.
1: She was in, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I think her and the son in the very small amount that they're in did a really lovely job as well.
1: And, and they look Spanish, yeah. Unlike Russell Crowe, who doesn't look Spanish. Apparently, Antonio he's Banderas at one point was 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 in the mix to maybe play Maximus, which
3: um, makes more sense with his Hispanic vibe. Yeah, but, uh...
1: I, I, I don't know. I mean, in being accurate to the to just that one, you know, he's from Spain. Do you lose so much else that Russell Crowe brings? Yeah. But back to the sequel. Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott commissioned Nick Cave, the musician, to write a sequel. And he came out with a screenplay that actually was submitted. And it is one of the most crazy things you've ever heard. Let me give you a synopsis here. So. The Roman gods are um, freaked out because this new guy named Jesus is on the scene. So they (laughs) reincarnate and send Russell Crowe's Maximus back to take care of the problem. From there, he then gets to go on and take care of problems throughout history as the Roman gods send him throughout time.
2: Oh, my word.
1: He ends up in World War II, Vietnam, before finally working as a senior general in the Pentagon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one more Actually, that, that, one. that is one I would like to see. Because the How question is now is, like what do you do when he's 10 years on? Now, in 2019, they still said Universal and, uh, not DreamWorks, but the other one, Universal and, oh, Paramount and Universal are going to potentially get together and do a sequel that will focus on a more adult grown-up Lucius going through his quest to be a gladiator. And I pray that we'd leave it alone. I don't yeah. want to see a sequel. No, I Unless don't. Unless
3: it's that sequel. Unless it's the sequel oh, with it's him the crazy going one. fighting Jesus.
1: Yeah, it's the with crazy Nick one. Yeah.
0: Kane. Nick Cave.
1: Absolutely nuts. Um, and so that's our film. I mean, general general thoughts? What did we think about it? Let's let's ask our two f- newbies what, what they felt about it.
2: Newbies. Oh, newbies to the film. Newbies okay. to the film. When we went to the podcast. I was like, no, really? the newbies to the, newbies <laughs> to the film. Um, it really kind of overstayed its welcome for me um I think it's probably an issue with the pacing, but i just i didn't feel like there was really any climax to the film like it didn't.
1: Hang on, just... I mean, the protagonist died. The final showdown between the primary protagonist and the primary antagonist literally doing one-on-one physical battles surrounded by 20,000 people.
2: Okay, maybe climax isn't the word that I mean, (laughs) but, like, I didn't feel like... Okay, so it's... In the extended version that we watched, there was, you know, we were at, like, 2 hours and 45 minutes before we reached this point, and I don't feel like there was any kind of rise and fall okay. before that really and it everything just seemed to go on that little bit too long and I really struggled to kind of think of a particular favorite scene or least favorite scene because it just kind of all blurred into one oh we're not there yet and yeah no but I was thinking about it in oh, advance because okay. I'm a good student <laughs> and I was comparing it to Game of Thrones but only like in some ways because it's missing that kind of excitement and really fast pacing that you get with that and I didn't dislike the film, but I just
3: felt like it really dragged.
1: Georgia, general thoughts, your first time viewing it?
3: Uh, That was pretty similar to Ellie's. Um, I enjoyed the fights. I thought they were really good. I thought they were choreographed amazingly well. Um, So I really, really liked those. In the film, I thought the music was very well done. I do think it was paced weirdly. Um, Some of the scenes just needed two minutes chopping off them. Like all of them needed two minutes cutting out of them. And I think it'd be a much better film. Um, just for, just for yeah, for the time that it... I think okay. what Ellie might have been saying was that for the length of the film, you don't feel like you get enough story in that time. Like, it's an almost three-hour-long film, and there aren't very many fleshed-out characters. There's Maximus, and there's Caesar Jr., because I can never remember his name.
1: Lucius. What do you
3: mean, Commodus? No, that's the oh, little Commodus. Commodus.
1: Commodus.
3: Okay. And... Um, his sister Lucilla but that's yeah. about it look at you getting it like, right for the first time yep I just didn't think there was much there could have been another for a film that long there probably could have been another side story going on or something okay Um, or cut it down so it doesn't feel like I'm wasting three hours on one story
1: alright Liam I don't know about you I thought it totally held up oh,
0: yeah, I absolutely love this
1: movie
0: <laughs> I'm yeah I absolutely love it I love the little uh, scenes that you say drag. There's little bits in them that, you know, the looks on their faces, the reactions to them, um, the general feel of the film I love. There's so many quotes in the film. Oh, yeah. um, it, it's, it's everything. I, I, I love this film. love it.
1: Uh, just some questions before we go on to the usual, um, whatchamacallits. First one, this one, best picture. I'm going to read to you some of the films that came out that same year. Is it the best yeah. picture compared to these? Because I think it is a bit of a, a weak class. But it won over Shakala, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which if you didn't see it, it's because the tigers were crouching and the dragons were hidden, <laughs> Aaron Barakovich, Traffic, cool. Castaway, Billy yeah. Elliot, Almost Famous, and Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? This is this uh, the feel best like- film?
3: I feel like I'm about to be kicked off of this film podcast because I haven't seen any of those, so I cannot compare it.
2: That's fine. I've seen Erin Brockovich and Billy Elliot, but both really quite a long time ago, so I can't really...
1: (laughs) Me and you, Liam. Uh, Sorry? Me and you. So, my short list, I don't know where you have it. I've got Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Almost Famous... And Gladiator, yeah. and those are my top three. And on any day, you could probably talk me into a different one winning, winning best picture.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because yeah. geez, if you think something's too long, Almost Famous is almost three hours. And I love that film. Yeah, it's great. I love <laughs> film that's Dude, we've got to watch that one day. We do. Oh, trust me, it's on the list. <laughs> yeah, oh, cool, cool, cool.
0: But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I out of all those, Gladiator is the one I would pick you know, for me that would be, because that's very epic, it's very big, it's very grand. Yeah. Almost my isn't, brother, brother Where Art though isn't, you know, they
1: haven't got that brand. epic feel to it, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: here's one then. Uh, I don't know if you two have seen this, but Liam, I, I, we compared it. What's a better film, Gladiator or Braveheart?
0: Gladiator. Well,
1: yeah. See, I'm going to go Braveheart. I am, so that's interesting, yeah I think Braveheart was the first one, I think Braveheart did it better, I also think I, there was a ton more on the side that I cared about with Braveheart, but I can totally understand someone who says Gladiator I, I liked
0: Braveheart, but the thing that put me off was Mel Gibson's voice
1: Do um, you mean his his complete like
0: well, His complete splash, to how brilliant that is
1: <laughs> Not. You gotta keep in mind, to a North American audience, we thought he did alright <laughs> He's he's better than Kevin Uh, Costner in in Robin Hood.
3: (laughs) You guys think Shrek is good, so you know. No,
1: we know that's a bad Scottish accent. (laughs) He's not doing a Scottish accent. He's doing an ogre accent. I'll have you know.
0: I do love Braveheart, um, but Gladiator wins out. There's so much more in Gladiator that I like. I remember at the time watching, just being blown away by it. So,
1: hi. Yeah. Um, Just really quickly around the table. is this anybody's best role ever? Did, would, 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 now you've seen both. Would anybody put Walking Phoenix in The Joker ahead of Walking Phoenix in this? Absolutely. No. No, not me. I'm, I'm still on Gladiator in this.
2: But, I also, but I also liked The Joker more than anyone else on the podcast. So.
1: That's true. And it's just Joker. It's not The Joker. Sorry. Georgia?
3: Um... <laughs> um. I completely forgot that it was Walking Phoenix in this role. Um, and so it wasn't until we started recording about two hours ago that mm-hmm. you said it. And I went, oh, yeah, he's in this. And then went, oh, that's the creepy guy. Mm-hmm. And again, he did a really, really good job convincing me that he's an absolute creep. Um, I'd quite like to meet the man and see if he is a creep in real life or if he actually is a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the
1: story about him like needing someone to beat him up so he feels like he's like the edges off so he can act.
3: See, I kind of want to give him a cuddle.
1: Liam? Because um, he's the younger brother of River Phoenix. Yes, he is.
0: River Phoenix was not become an actor. He was, he you'd have seen do some really interesting roles um, as, he, as he got older, but he died. And he said to his brother, Quinn, um, you are a good actor. You can be a phenomenal actor. Choose your roles wisely.
1: Mm.
0: Said that to him. So that's always stuck with Jarquin. Yeah. Is that his name, Jarquin?
1: Uh, it's, it's it's Joaquin, almost like you're mispronouncing Joaquin. the word walking.
0: Joaquin, Joaquin, yeah. yeah. And uh, I can never say it, but yeah.
1: No, you got it last time. Yeah.
0: He said to he said to him, you know, pick your roles wisely, and go for interesting more than what you think would be you more accolades. Mother.
1: Yeah, I do. All right. So, um, round the table, uh, go Liam Georgia Ellie. If that's all right, because that's a nice Around the circle, I guess. Um, favorite character? Lucilla. Okay, really? Can you uh, just—that's a really interesting choice. I wasn't expecting that.
0: No, uh, me either. um, Because I wanted to say Richard Harris. And if you had said to me, "Who's your favorite character?" before I watched it again, I would have said Richard Harris. Okay. But watching it again, I find that she's so underrated in this film. Yes she is she, she does more acting with her looks Than she does with her voice
1: I predict in a month from now I'll forget her performance though Maybe yeah, you won't we- this time It's just because all the big names right And you just kind of go yeah, in like,
0: That's why I said to you Richard Harris was the one for me Until I rewatched it yeah. And I watched it with fresh eyes again You know so yeah For me this time round is her
1: Georgia uh,
3: Naked slave with a good butt <laughs> <laughs> I liked him <laughs> Um, I also really like Proximo when he's talking about giraffes, um, but actually, seriously, I really, really rated, oh, what's his, what's the, what's his friend's name? Um, Duba? Max. Yeah, du, Duba.
1: Duba, yeah.
3: Duba, Juman when he's Honsu. talking, when he's talking to Juba. Maximus, those two as a pair were probably my favourite, they were my favourite scenes in the film.
1: Anything when the two of them were together yeah I thought they were important actually for this film yeah yeah, yeah I agree with you
3: it was out. the it was they were kind of the only scenes where that it wasn't direct fighting yeah. or um was his face being a creep was that the, were actually
2: interesting It was
1: the only moments of warmth, give or take maybe one or two yeah. moments with some other characters ellie uh Marcus aurelius is that his name
2: yep um so yeah Richard Harris. But, so it's
1: like 25 minutes in. You're like, um, not done, but like your favorite well, character.
2: Herein lies my problem with the film being too long. There wasn't enough of Richard Harris in it. Um, now, I think I've, I found it really interesting, actually, to to watch this because I've only ever seen Richard Harris playing Dumbledore before. But that was sort of a really key part of my childhood. And mm-hmm. I, I loved him in it. Um And I think that the way that he delivers his lines as Marcus Aurelius is very similar to how he delivers his lines of Dumbledore because he does a lot of sort of whispered delivery and just oh and he also says ah a lot oh does he okay and he does that as Dumbledore as well and I just thought it was really really interesting to to watch it even though he. It's been a long time since I've seen the Harry Potter,
1: and I feel it's important to note, but this was before Harry Potter, so yeah, so maybe yeah. he's borrowing a little bit from the, maybe like Hans Zimmer. He's borrowing from this film later on in his career.
2: Yeah, it's just <laughs> lovely.
1: Um, I'm gonna go with it's funny because I'm not gonna choose one of the big two either. Uh, I, I think Russell Crowe's great in it. It's a star-making <laughs> performance. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is tremendous, but I, th- you know, we give him a lot of shine. So I guess maybe I don't know if it's. I really, really liked Oliver Reed. Yeah. I like, really liked him. And the first time I watched Thank it, you. I didn't get him, I don't think. He was just a pl- he was a plot point. But I, maybe I'm older. Maybe, well, I am older, obviously. <laughs> There's maybe about it.
3: Maybe I'm older
2: 10 years <laughs> or, later. Older than I
1: was 10 years ago.
2: <laughs> maybe you've gone in that sequel version of Bad Eater, Maybe the in, Roman like, gods have sent me
1: back to give this film a second watch. And I'm going, really, really liked Oliver Reed in it. Really, really did. I think Walking Phoenix is delightfully creepy and Very like makes creepy. my skin crawl. And maybe that's the deal. Is the first time I saw it, you get him. You go, okay, he's a creep. I really don't like him. And maybe the second time through, you're able to focus on other characters just a little bit more. And so I was able to go, ooh, really like what Oliver... Harrison. I'm going to uh, uh, Oliver read. Sorry, I'm going to argue he does have an arc. There's a character who has an arc as well because he totally changes throughout the course of that film.
3: But, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I just yeah. couldn't remember who I was talking about. And it takes
1: layers before he lets Maximus in to tell him the story, then talk about who they are fundamentally as men, and then for him to change who he is fundamentally as a man. Liam,
0: one of the most um, disappointing characters for me was Derek Deckerby. I just thought, for someone of his ilk, someone of um, his generation, in this film, was lost. Help me out. Which one's he? He's the um, good senator. He's,
1: he's the good senator. Yeah, I, I see. I liked him when he was on screen. The problem was the, I, just, I didn't feel there was enough of him.
0: Yeah, he was just lost in it. Yeah, I think he's a renowned great actor.
1: How you can have a three-hour script and not have enough for something like that? It's kind of weird. Yeah, uh, best yeah. best bit, best moment. Let's go back, Liam. You got a best, the best part, best scene, best something.
0: Yeah. Don't you turn your back on me, slave? What is your name? <laughs> my name is Maximus. Love it, love it, love it, love it.
1: You will have your vengeance in this life or the next, Georgia. Yeah. What a
0: what a. Um, I think probably
3: the I've kind of mentioned the bits with um, Maximus and du- Duba um see i'm as bad as you with names i just don't say them much um are were my favorite bits i really enjoyed the fights i thought they were really really well done um i liked the bits with the tigers especially as they were real tigers i thought that was good um but yeah no there's a couple of other little bits um when uh caesar jr is smashing the face off of Caesar caesar on a statue i quite enjoyed that because i was like oh so that's why ancient statues never have noses but uh yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Ellie? Um,
2: you know, the bits near the start that've got Richard Griffiths in them. Uh, not Richard Griffiths, that's that's uh Uncle Vernon, isn't it? In Harry Potter, Richard Harris. Um yeah, so probably the bit like where he's talking to Maximus, hmm. asking him to take over and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean something in that. We talked about um Maximus and Duba and um the warmth that that creates and a film that needs it. And I think we did see some of that in that point as well with we anything with him and Marcus Aurelius. So there's that. I guess uh, some, you guys have talked about that, so I'm going to go ahead and put mine on the opposite of that. And I'm just going to go where anything where Walking Phoenix dials the creepiness up to 10. Because to have a great movie, you have to have a great villain that you want to see. And in order to ha- And then how do you do that? And we were given some really psychological, you know, if you're going to reuse that metaphor of prison of fear then I mean, you better create a ble- a bleem in prison of fear and it it happens it happens with walking phoenix's performance in in this film and the two actors who are opposite him play opposite him very well so well done to cuz one person's got to be menacing but the other people have to react appropriately and it was done right
0: yeah and he yeah he is a great performance in that film and i just think that for some, because I hate his character so much, and yet, that's a true great actor, you think, to make you feel that way. Yeah.
1: No, no, absolutely.
0: So, you know, take on a part like that for people not to like. You know, and he didn't do it any justice in any way, shape, or form um, to make him a nice character in any way. He was just bad from the start. Yeah. Jealous, envious, wanted to be Maximus, didn't
1: he? Yeah yeah never never got why people didn't like him because Maximus wasn't no. looking to be liked. he just did the right thing
0: yeah. everything was forced by him yeah
1: uh liam, little grumble yeah. what's the what's the thing about this film that kind of grinds your gears
0: Quintus the flip the flipness yeah. of his
1: it wouldn't Col- take it wouldn't have taken much yeah, yeah. a couple of camera Guess, yeah. shots yeah, would have done it for me. Georgia. Um. So
3: my little grumbles are are small, little, tiny things because I think I've kind of gone over the fact that I think some of it just is a bit too long, um, or isn't fleshed out enough. Um. So I'm just going to read you a couple of my notes from throughout the film. Here we go. Uh, 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 uh. We are one hour into this film and we only now are having our first gladiator match, which annoyed me for a film called Gladiator that we had to wait an hour for a first gladiator match. Um. There's a poster for the Gladiators that we saw was on a rectangular A4 sheet of paper. I was like, come on, guys. That is obviously an A4 sheet of paper that you just printed onto. Let uh, me uh, 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 find out. The special effects department I've put in here did a wonderful job, but they should know that not all blood is bright red <laughs> because that annoyed me. Um, the punching sound. And the last one, the punching sound effects in that bike club bit right at the end i liked it the foley team god bless foley artists i love them but they were obviously smacking a watermelon like it was
1: that's fine (laughs) okay oh come
3: on make it sound more realistic and then just the fact that the crowd at the end there stayed miraculously silent throughout the whole thing because it was as if they hadn't actually been added back into the audio
1: oh i think they're stunned with silence and they're hanging on the moments of what that means and the bigness of what what all twenty thousand of them yeah that 's called ah. suspension disbelief, though Georgia that's all that, or else we we could tackle, oh, you should have died in the first fight. I mean, we can go ahead and just talk about probability no, he's a and good. He's,
3: no no, 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 no there's a, there's suspension of disbelief for one person, I can believe that he can make it through that he's a good fighter, I can believe that he is getting through these fights, and he's doing really well, and this, that and the other, but t- that twenty thousand people, not like there wouldn't have been any sort of reaction when the emperor's been stabbed and died. Or that the hero just falls down dead, there wouldn't be any noise at all. Yeah, it that's really what got silent.
1: me. Oh, see, I think it's powerful because it's silent, and I'm okay with that.
3: Yeah. You asked for my grumbles, I gave you my. grumbles. I, I asked for a
1: little grumble and one of them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I gave you five small grumbles.
1: <laughs> it's called. It's called my little grumble. It's called my big grumble. <laughs> What's the exchange rate of a little grumble to five small grumbles? <laughs> I don't know. Ellie.
2: Well, I'll even that out a bit because I think I've already said everything I wanted to say about the pacing Um, and I didn't really have any bits that I particularly disliked apart from just how long it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I brought it up at the start, but um, Ridley Scott was asked about the extended version someone called it a director's cut and he went, no, no, don't call it a director's cut. The director's cut was the one that was was in the theatres. This is kind of more or less just a way to, you like resell it and make money because the people who saw the first one and loved it will go, oh, you gotta see the extra footage. Uh, I wonder how much the death of Oliver Reed changed that third act and changed yeah. the bit where they all kind of raid the house. Because apparently the writer who did the final draft got back to London. Finally, job was supposed to be done and got phoned up and said, we need you on a plane. Oliver Reed has died. We got to figure out what we're doing next and had to go back out. And so I don't know what that does, but I think there's a bit in the third act that drags considerably. And I don't know if it was because we were watching the extended cut. I don't know if it's because of the death of Oliver um, Reed, but something kind of went wrong. And yeah, there's a lot more you could have done to make that final fight feel even bigger than it did. It just sort of happens with very little causality or reason.
3: Yeah, the, those like 10 minutes before that as well when he gets yeah. captured and all that kind of bit, you kind of go, oh, Oh, okay. And then and then they're fighting. Like there's no yeah. there's not much dialogue there at all. You kinda go going... He
1: could have gone to his sister and said, Fine, I'm gonna beat the man you love in the arena which the people love him at, and that and you see him walking down. You see him latching his armor on. You see him choosing white. I mean, all these things could have done to make that feel you know, I don't need like a like a montage or a big rock song in the background, but just something to make it build a little bit so that when you finally have that moment where he walks in and you know, Marcus is kind of like, sorry, Maximus is kind of like, you know, almost like in the Jesus pose, right? Yeah. Like, you know, make that feel. Interesting
2: comparison as his yeah. wife and kid have been. Crucified. Well,
1: that's it. But it was a Roman thing, wasn't it? But still, and make that feel big. Make that confrontation feel earned as opposed to movies got to end in 10 minutes.
3: Yeah, it's, so, yeah. it's kind of how that felt at that point. But I enjoyed the fight, so. Yep.
1: So that leaves us to a couple of things. Uh, The age game. The age game. We'll we'll quickly rattle through this. Let's go Georgia, Liam, me on that one. The age game. Uh, Maybe maybe three or four people in there.
3: Okay, so we'll start with Russell Crowe. I haven't got a clue how old Russell Crowe is. I know he's relatively old now and did an awful job in Les Mis about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to say at this point he is 35. Liam? I'm going to say
0: 34.
1: I'm gonna go 32. Mel Gibson was too old at 42, so we'll cut a decade off.
2: He was 36.
1: Wow. wow! This is
2: in this is based on how old he would have been in 2000, and it was released on the first of yeah, January. Fine. So yeah. he would have been like, wow 35. yeah. Every right. year. Um, Joaquin... Mel
1: Gibson's lazy. That's what I just. Learned. <laughs> <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. I think I know this one.
3: Um. See, I don't know how old he was in Joker, so. Um, 27.
0: 24.
1: I believe he's 24.
2: So I've got 25, but yeah, he would have been 24 during the filming. Uh, yeah. uh, Richard Harris.
1: Ooh, Marcus Aurelius. Dumbledore himself.
3: Uh, 68. Sixty.
1: Seventy one. Seventy. Hey. Yeah. Um I think we have to do Oliver
2: Okay. Oliver Reed so Oliver Reed? Um oh, how how old would he have been in two thousand anyway if he'd if he'd made it?
1: Yeah, it's a good show.
3: Fifty <laughs> seven.
1: Uh sixty two. I'm gonna sixty six.
3: Sixty two, Liam
2: got it. Hey. And should we just do Lucius as well?
1: Okay, Lucius, Little, yes. Little Lucius. Always,
2: always more difficult for the kids.
3: Lucius looks like he was around eleven years old.
0: I'm gonna say older fifteen.
1: Oh wow. Okay. I was gonna say eleven as well, Georgia, so I'm gonna go ten. It's thirteen. Ah, uh, I was gonna go twelve, I should have. Yeah. Well, I guess, George, uh, you and Liam are kind of split the difference there, and you got that. So, well done. Well done. Uh, time for our ratings. Our ratings. Liam, do you have a rating for this one? Eight and a half. Eight and a half? Yep. Georgia? A
3: solid seven.
1: Solid seven? Okay.
3: It was alright, yeah.
2: So I had put seven, but I'm going to drop it to six and a half. Just have? because I think I gave... In Bruges, seven, and I would much rather watch that again.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go eight, eight. I really, uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's not a perfect film. It's not a perfect film, no. but and you know, uh, but as far as like what you know, sit down. What do you want to watch? Uh, I want to watch big, pumpy up sort of sword fights and scenes and big speeches character development don't really need much of that just want to see a lot of a lot of swords and a lot of clanging and and bigness and this is spectacle and for that this thing hits all all the uh, the, the proper checkboxes so 16 and a half it's a good score it's a good score it's not too shabby at all and that just leaves us talking about next film ever next film ever and so next film ever um it's the 25 years, and it's beginning to feel, in many ways, a lot like Christmas in the summertime. Because rather than celebrating it at Christmas for once, we're doing it in the summer, and rather than talking about being trapped in one location, we're sprawling all over New York City. We are doing Bruce Willis. We are doing Samuel L. Jackson. We are going back oh. and doing Die Hard with a Vengeance. It. It really is. The, it is the 25 year anniversary next week of that film, so oh. definitely have to do that. And uh, thoughts. I know we've all seen Die Hard with a Vengeance, so because we
2: all watched it together at Christmas. We did,
1: but um, we'll talk about maybe the reasons why we watched that around Christmas. But um, we can have uh, just general hopes of going back because I have. We've we've all seen it in the last five months. I'm I'm all right with it. I'm all right looking back and going over it. It was the first Die Hard I saw for for me. So. This was my introduction. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting place in. So I didn't know of a diehard formula or format or any of those things. This was my entry point.
2: It's the only one I've seen.
0: I, I love it.
1: Yeah. Georgia?
2: More
3: fights and blood. Woohoo!
1: Fights and. Definitely some. Sorry. It's an action film. So we're going to talk about does an action film have to have character development to be a good film? Because I don't think you're going to see a whole ton of character development next week. No. But that. Is that so why not join us next week when we tackle the third die hard film die hard with a vengeance so for best film ever I've been Ian and I've been Liam
3: I've been Ellie and I've been Georgia
1: and please remember that the things that we do on this podcast thanks to recording technology will echo throughout the turn we'll see you next time
0: (laughs) I love it.